0: Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of all things food, drink and travel brought to you by the Olive team. My name is Laura Rowe, I'm the editor of the magazine and your host for this episode. This time, web editor Alex celebrates World's Sake Day by visiting Kampai in Peckham, London's first sake brewery. She chats to owners Lucy and Tom Wilson about how sake is made, how to drink it and the different types you can get. Plus, we give the lowdown on London Cocktail Week, taking place across the capital from the 2nd to 8th of October. Listen up for the hottest events going on during the week, including whiskey blending, international cocktail bar collaborations and the interactive Cocktail Village. And finally, travel editor Rhiannon reveals her favourite places to eat and drink in the southwestern French town of Arcachon. If you love oysters stay tuned. First up here's Alex with Lucy and Tom.
1: Okay, hi, it's Alex here and I'm with Tom and Lucy Wilson, the couple behind Kampai, London's first sake brewery in Peckham. And you may or may not know that it's World Sake Day on the 1st of October on Sunday. So I've popped down to the brewery to get the lowdown on the Japanese rice drink how it's made, the history behind it, and why Tom and Lucy think that Londoners should get on board. So, hi, guys. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So, tell us, why sake and why the name Kampai in particular? Ah, so why sake? Great <laughs> question. Um,
4: so, Tom's had the taste of it for quite a long time, but I think we got absolutely smitten with the drink when we went to Japan itself. Ah, oh, it sort of, jealous? Yes, tucked away in Japan or tucked away in Japanese restaurants, and we were lucky enough to, you know, have first-hand tastings of it and we went to the breweries themselves and drank it fresh and realized it wasn't this well for me it wasn't this sort of harsh drink it wasn't something you shot it was light it was floral it was lovely and the bars that you had it in there were really fun and we just got like, completely taken by it so when we came home Tama dusted off some old sort of beer brewing kit that we just had at home for home brews. Casual, as (laughs) you And and tried to to make sake, and it's really hard, and there were some ups and downs, but friends and family started enjoying it, and it just kind of escalated to to where we are now. Um, And in terms of the name Kanpai, well, yeah, that's what we picked up on our trip as well. So we got taught by a barman in Kyoto that that's how you say cheers. So you cheers drinks and you say Kanpai, and it means... It means cheers. It means actually um, dry your cup. It's a bit like bottoms up. Ah, okay. So we just said it so much there that when we started putting a name to our crazy project, it just seemed the obvious choice, I think.
1: So you say crazy project. When Mm. did you open the brewery? So we moved into the brewery
4: in Beckham in February this year. So right. okay. we'd done it at home for a few years and it got to the point where we had no space left whatsoever in our spare room and couldn't have anyone to stay. So we took that, that step up to having a, you know, a commercial space.
1: Fab. Okay. So can you give our listeners a quick lowdown of sake, like in a nutshell? like How, how do you make it sure. and like what's it all about?
5: Yeah, so um, sake is fundamentally made from four key ingredients. So rice, water, yeast and koji. Koji is a sort of magical mould that's also used for things like soy sauce and miso. Um, But basically, uh, fermenting sake is slightly different from other alcohols. So it's a multi-parallel fermentation process, which means you you don't sort of start with all your sugar. You're producing sugar, which is what the koji does. It breaks down the starch so... Koji contains the amylase, uh, alpha amylase, glucoamylase. That breaks down the rice, the starch in the rice, releases the simple sugars, which your yeast then converts into alcohol. And that happens from the very beginning all the way through to the end of the fermentation process. Um, So that that tends to mean it's a slightly longer fermentation process. Than wine. Than than wine and beer. Um, We typically ferment, so we do a yeast starter, which is typically two weeks and then a five-week ferment. So, right. you're looking from beginning to bottle um, for us is about two months. Okay. Um, and uh,
1: yeah, how, how did it come about then, sake? Like, is it, um, is it has it been about. Yeah, know, so
5: the... I, I think the, the origins of, of sake have, have been around for a couple of millennia, to be honest. Um, there's, there's sort of traces coming out of China a good a few thousand years ago of rice wine. There's still a heritage of rice wine across places in Asia, but sake specifically, yeah, uh, I know there's records going back to sort of 300 BC, I wow, think. Wow, okay. Um, but uh, time to experiment then. Exactly, <laughs> but, I, but I think, you know, originally when it was made, um, we obviously didn't have sort of synthesized koji kin spores and all this kind of stuff uh, to, to produce the enzymes. So actually, the rice was uh, kind of chewed in the mouth okay. because obviously our saliva contains very similar... Right malaise enzymes and then, um, and then basically spat out and fermented that's, and that's been nice. done that's been done sort of across the world uh, <laughs> with other other kind of grains yeah. and, and uh, nuts and things over the years as well so. okay
1: so so now we've got a more um you know a bit more of a hygienic way of doing it with koji absolutely, um, absolutely. and, and um, this ingredient's like crept up into our pages like recently because we've got a a really delicious one pot koji roast chicken on our website can you just tell us a bit more about that ingredient because i don't think a lot of people would know what that was
5: yeah so it's 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 pretty unique but it's actually quite widespread it's um we we all know soy sauce that's made Mm. as i said before with uh with with koji but with soybeans and so the difference here is slightly different type of koji um, basically koji kin is the actual spore okay. and um, you inoculate a portion of your freshly steamed rice with that spore and over a 48 hour period so it has like really rapid mycelial growth and over a 48 hour period you create koji rice okay and that is basically your the one thing um i guess that that, that makes sake pretty unique. Okay. And that's what then breaks down your rice, as I said before, releases your simple sugars.
1: Fab. Okay. So that's what makes sake unique. But I know there's lots of different types out there, different types of sake. And I understand that the style, the style depends on the like, percentage of rice grain polishing, if that's a, if, yeah, so that the, correct. Yeah. So
5: it's sort of multifaceted, really. So the, the simplest way to sort of break, break things down is, does the sake contain distilled alcohol added? Okay. Or not. That's kind of your. So it's some
1: non-alcoholic.
5: No, no, no. So, um, so what we produce is is in the junmai category, and junmai okay. means it has it's not being cut with distilled spirit.
1: Right. Okay. So, so it's not got any added.
5: Exactly. And about ninety percent of sake produced in uh, Japan is falls under kind of table sake, which has distilled spirit added. Right. And then the other ten percent is your premium, but you still have a fifty percent of the premium is still uh, either distilled spirit added or not. But your Junmai Camp is not added, Okay. and Honjozo and others have it added. So
1: Honjozo is, I um, also has like polishing. Exactly. So polishing. so Can you just all a bit um, about that?
5: Pretty, yeah, pretty much all sake is made with um, polished rice. There are some out there that so they literally use how, how do they polish rice it and things like that? So they're these giant sort of. They're like cylindrical milling machines. Okay, and so you've not
1: got a lady just <laughs> <laughs> with a little
5: duster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so these, these things are running in sort of giant factories for you know hours on end, days on okay. end, sometimes even to get them down. I mean, I think the record uh, is about 8%, so 92% of the rice is milled away. Wow, To leave okay. the just 8% left. I think that's the world record that's currently and being so used. And so what
1: kind of sake is that going to create then?
5: Very light, very floral... Um, yeah, sort of uh, super delicate characteristics.
1: Okay, so because um, so when it's not been polished, is that the clear sake? Because I know there is also that really milky-looking sake. So um,
5: that... so that's the difference between I guess more regular sake and then a nigori. So a nigori, um, so for something to be classed as sake, it's uh, it's all been filtered, mm-hmm. but a nigori sake has uh, some of the very fine. Uh, rice sediment that's left from the ferment added back in at the Mm -hmm. very end so you get sort of it was settled down you have sort of uh, a small amount of sediment left at the bottom of the bottle you mix that up it turns sort of milky white and then you drink it like that that's actually sort of harking back to more of a an older style of sake okay Um, if you think going back to sort of uh, a few hundred years ago when everything was... You know, people were actually brewing their own sake at home and things like that, which you're not allowed to do in Japan anymore. Um, right. It would have been, that, I guess, slightly less refined. Um, they wouldn't have had sort of high-grade uh, filtration and things okay. like that. So you'd have had this cloudy sake. So
1: it's more like hearty, isn't it? You uh, Again, you yeah. can...
5: With, with all these categories, so... Um, the, this, I guess let's go back to the polishing. So, um, a daiginjo is um, really highly polished, so 50% or less. A ginjo is 60% or less. And um, then the other premiums, so your Jumai Honjozo, uh, don't tip Well, the Jumai doesn't actually have a milling grade, so it can be okay. anything. What we produce is 70% or less. Wow. Um, okay. Milling. And across all of these, you can have sort of general, general perception that. Junmai may be more characterful and savoury and robust, mm-hmm. and um, once you work down that spectrum and you end up in sort of daiginjo territory, that's typically more floral and fruity and light and delicate. Okay. But that's a massive generalisation. You yeah. obviously get because complete it's contrast, like wine, isn't it? There's just ac- you can't.
1: We can't talk about all the types exactly. in and, and, twelve
5: minutes. <laughs> and, and again, going from sort of sweet and luscious all the way through to very dry mm-hmm. you can you can sort of have those categories across each of those sections including nigori
1: okay well 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 i'm sure we'll um
5: but there's definitely many uh, many varieties out there that will suit everyone That's the okay thing. good it's a plethora
1: so um i understand you can have it hot or cold is that right does it, it affect it the is. flavor it,
5: it does absolutely so um the The sort of current fashion is to have uh, more chilled sake okay uh out of a wine you know wine glass or flute or something like that um that that's definitely uh i guess what's what's being consumed at the moment um but traditionally uh sake was really drunk hot or cold depending on the uh the temperature outside so oh, that's, okay. the season so, right. so know, what tea else? Or yeah, exactly if it was, if it was a hot tea. summer's day a nice chilled sake or if it's a cold winter's day a nice sort of okay. Uh, warm one cool but but definitely there's certain varieties that lend themselves more to being heated and others so if you're sort of heating up a very delicate sake you might sort of break that apart and lose some of those elements Um, others that potentially have more sort of robust uh, amino acid uh, content uh, that umami factor can really sort of open up once heated okay so, so I
1: know um, your sake is a bit distinct, isn't it? Because you want to make it really full-bodied, stand up to like bold British flavours. Um, how do you do that? How do you um, create that full-bodied? Yeah, so that's exactly
4: right. I think we sort of fell in love with very traditional light sakes because we were having them in Japan with light food with your sushi and your sashimi and it's just obviously a wonderful marriage um, and then you come home and we're eating jerk chicken and curries and sometimes these lighter ones get lost mm-hmm. so we started experimenting with ours how we could push them down and get those like more robust flavors out some of the some of which we had tried in Japan as well with some of the jamas and uh, yeah we just realized that if we did a longer ferment it dries right out and it sort of feels a bit more like a dry white wine or you know okay. a, a dry gin the kind of things that, that we enjoy so, so we pushed it that way and then we're really uh, pleased yeah great so which is your favourite sake that you have on um, your books <laughs> for me personally we did a small batch with a rice called yamadanishki which is kind of the holy grail of uh, sake rice Okay. and um, we actually did that one a little bit shorter because I have a bit more of a sweeter tooth and it's like okay. just very slightly sweeter and, it, and it's very delicate although I love the Nagoris because we were saying you get that creamy texture mm. and it's um Great with dessert. yeah good with dessert and just it just it just feels different it's not like anything else you've ever had and people are drawn to it because it looks like a baileys or something and Ooh, it's completely I love <laughs> <laughs> uh
5: i mean I, I have always sort of fallen in the more junmai uh kimoto Yamahai kind of camp, so super savory high umami kind of factor which is which tends to be some of our junmai's that we brew Okay. And to sort of go down that route.
1: Okay, so lastly and very importantly, where can we buy your sake's? Can we get them in like shops across the country or? Absolutely, just London? yeah. So
5: um, at the moment we're, we're concentrated in London, so okay. we actually launched in Southridge's in June, so we're Fab. available in right. um, Plus uh, a ton of local shops, craft beer shops to us in Peckham, Hops, Burns and Blacks, Bambuni, a number of bars. Um,
1: you got in restaurants haven't you like the Coal Rooms, oh, yeah, Mr. Bow yeah, yeah. Coal Rooms, Mr. Bow,
5: John the Unicorn, unicorn um, wow. uh, Flavour i can't say that word can i
1: (laughs) (laughs) swear on the podcast oh b-a-s-t-a-r-a-r-d yeah yeah (laughs) them okay (laughs) all right well thank you very much that's very informative um and yeah if anybody wants to find out more about sake um we have a little um addition in our october issue and also you can go to London. thank you very much guys thank you so much
5: Thank 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 you
0: Next, Alex and I talk all things London Cocktail Week. Um, so hello, this is Laura and I am here with Alex, our lovely web editor. Hello. Hello, and we're going to talk about London Cocktail Week, aren't we? Which mm-hmm. is a big a big event in the London calendar.
1: It is. Highly anticipated by bartenders and um, people who love cocktails. Yeah, <laughs> it's
0: kind of a proper event, isn't it, for, oh, yeah, for those in the industry? Completely. It's not just kind of... Uh, a festival for a festival's sake. Yeah. It's serious bartenders mixing serious drinks. You're going to learn stuff. You're yes. going to taste new things. Um, and we thought it'd be very useful for our listeners mm-hmm. if we kind of gave a little quick guide to the key events that you should be attending. Yes. And, and you've done all the research for us. I have you? <laughs> done. And
1: I've also um, I've curated uh, a collection of events for OliveMagazine.com. So if you um, look into the, in the drink section of our website, you'll see the events day by day. Great. So. Because it's a city-wide um, event, yeah. there's hundreds and hundreds of events going on because everybody, you know, gets in on it and wants to, which they should, yeah. because it's a, it's a great event. But the best place to go probably if you only have one evening and you want to try as much as possible is the Cocktail Village, which yeah. is a hub in Old Spitalfields Market in okay. East London. Um, and that is where all of the, the big brands, spirits and... Um, and all kinds of drinks are going to be. Okay. And they have lots of li- interactive things. A lot of them are very, like, secret as to what is going to happen nice there. nice surprise so I'm not, when you get there. I'm not, allow- I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, because my brother actually works in the drinks industry. He was talking about it last <laughs> night, and it sounds amazing. Okay. So, like, so, M- Monkey 47, the amazing gin, mm. um, have a really cool thing going on. And also... Um, uh Havana um club does as well so I will leave that as a a note tease yes we should probably Um, just
0: stay here as well just to remind people of the date so it's second to eighth October October, isn't it
1: yes it is so um starting on Monday um and on Monday in fact there is um an opening party of world class which is a Diageo um it's an initiative and they have lots of drinks experiences going on around the capital. So they've got 10 from masterclasses to expertly paired dinners. Okay, um, And they're kicking everything off at Oriole, which is a great bar in, yep. um, it's in Smithfield Market, yep. which is in Farringdon. I don't know if you've been before, but there's people behind Nightjar.
0: Yes, yeah. and actually, that's another great thing about London Cocktail Week. Cause it kind of forces you to go back and
1: exactly track
0: down these great bars because often when you go out drinking, you just go to where's near to you. Exactly. Yeah. Or if you're in London, it's wherever you're going. You know, if you've gone shopping, you might go stay at bars in Oxford Circus. But it really does encourage you to try the amazing bars that we have in London. Our world class cocktail yeah, bars. Yeah,
1: exactly. And also um, <laughs> because um, you know, on a Monday night, you not... <laughs> necessarily going to be out drinking not but, every week but I'll it say. gives you a nice excuse um speaking of london's world-class bars um mm. so the world 50 best bar awards they happen that happens on a thursday and that's actually right. a private event okay however we'll be um releasing a list of the world's 50 best bars great um on thursday at you're gonna midnight, do some more hopefully. research there aren't yes, you, Alice? Yeah. <laughs> so it's very very um uh, secret, the, yeah. the list and um, when you're not allowed to have it it's really embargoed so I'm not allowed to tell you um, but then last year if you look on our website as well we've got a list of the top 50 bars in the whole world right. um, and four or five in the top 10 are actually in London which is amazing. It's
0: really good going and actually again it's that thing of you kind of forget how great the bars are here yeah. and you know you should really if you are into booze go and try the cocktail, speak to your bartender exactly. let them guide you on something new Yeah, and that's why this event is, is so such a good event. Yeah. And and I'm really excited about the results of the awards yeah, as well, I to know. see if we've kept up this yeah. year. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Dandelion is number was number 2 last year and that's one of our favorites isn't it? Um, yes and, and he's
0: just opened up a new restaurant in, yes, in Hoxton, to? yeah, which I went to called Cub, um which is kind of a fusion between a restaurant in Brighton called Silo, which is really big on low waste and obviously Ryan and the bartenders at, at, at Dandelion, um they've introduced their low waste cocktails there. So it's a re- that's a really interesting experience if you're into the low-waste food and low-waste cocktails yes, definitely
1: um, and speaking of which ah, actually that's, <laughs> it has nicely <laughs> gone into this it is on friday though so we're skipping a few days okay. on friday the event that i've highlighted is called trash tiki okay and it's an anti-waste punk pop-up
0: we've mentioned this before yes. in our drinks pages the measure so again if you're into into your booze or even non-spirits coffee or anything I always have a read of the measure in yeah. the magazine because we have great tips like this but yeah alex tell us
1: more um so ian griffiths who's actually formerly of Dandelion, okay, I've just been talking about, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Kelsey Ramage okay. have been touring the globe with their tiki bar that uses only waste ingredients in its cocktails. Great, and um, so they're doing a pop up in London, so they've been all around the globe and they're returning to London for this event. and They're actually using um, waste only from the cocktail village oh. that I spoke about before. Fantastic, um, so they're using they've got some great ingredients, like they they make a cafe orget, which is um. Uh, bartender's favorite ingredient they use in mai tais, and um, they're using leftover almond croissants to make that. Love this um, that sounds amazing. So they said like not to buy not to buy almond croissants. Just go to your baker or yeah. um, like a pret or something and say if you ha- if you have and any stale. leftover, yeah. can I like, can I have them? They'll definitely give you a discount if you if yeah. you don't get them for free. And they also make cob syrup using corn cobs and apple pulp from the juice blender. Because if you think of how much pulp there is yeah. from all this juicing craze. That's going on, yeah. especially, um, especially well as coming into um, like January. So mm-hmm. you can make these in January. And they've got lots of recipes on, on their website. So you're well. actually
0: thinking ahead of when you're not going to be drinking if yes, you go to this event. Exactly, I like this. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, so back to the start of the week. Okay. Um, sorry. Yeah. We skipped to after Monday. We've got um, so on Tuesday we've got the uh, I'm going to Three Sheets, which is a new cocktail bar, and that's gone straight into the top. 100. Wow. They've released um, the top uh, 50 to 100 right. of the, the world's best bars already. Yeah. So I'm not giving away <laughs> the information, don't worry. Um, and they've gone straight into there. That, and that's, um, they're called Noel and Max. The, um, they have lots of cocktail bar experience under their belt. They've been at 69 Colbert Row, okay. Bar Termini, which is another of our favorites. It and is. that's what well, it, uh,
0: it was before I had the five Negronis. Two weekends ago. They oh. do an amazing Negroni flight if anyone hasn't been, which you have to try, but yeah. it's um, painful afterwards. Yeah, but
1: they're so good, aren't <laughs> so they? Good. They're tiny but very, very punchy. Yeah, they just lead on to more dangerous <laughs> things. <Yes. laughs> so, anyway. Um, and so, yeah, Three Sheets is a neighborhood style bar on Kingsland Road. Mm-hmm. And they um, are collaborating with uh, New York's Employees Only, which is one of the world's leading cocktail bars. Wow. Um, and they'll be showcasing Woodford Reserve Alliance whiskey which okay. is a beautiful whiskey um in cocktails such as Ryan dry which is apple skin infused woodford rye with bramley apple cordial bitters and soda so you can imagine like mm. lots going on i th- i find cocktails like amazing because they're like complete dishes in one glass Completely. and i think when people think of cocktails as these like sugary fruity yeah. things with a you know mask like, mask
0: bad spirits uh, yeah, yeah
1: that that is not what cocktails are about and that's why London Cocktail Week is so great so you really should as Laura said go and like Ask the bartender mm. about ingredients because they've got, like, incredible... So many bars have these um, syrups and bitters that yeah. they make themselves and they have these tiny little jars. And so many ingredients go into each syrup, yeah. never mind it's each ingredient. And
0: even if you don't think... You could think about it however you want. You know, if it's gin that's your preference, I'm sure there'd be a gin cocktail that they could find that you would like or whether you want to think, you know, whether it be vodka or whiskey. Or if you want to think about it in terms of what kind of taste sensation you like so if you like bitter things mm-hmm. or sour things or you know salty things like there will be a cocktail that satisfies absolutely that taste requirement yeah. so yeah it's definitely worth and an experimenting with things and yeah. going outside the box a definitely bit, yeah.
1: we, we do have um lots of cocktail recipes on the website mm. as well so um feel free to have a play we've got lots of sections so we've got whiskey cocktails rum cocktails mm. vodka cocktails gin cocktails <laughs> and then like, everything so um, and also yeah, a range a of uh,
0: difficulties as well you know we've yes. got relatively simple cocktails but if you're an officiado or get loads of spirits from the cocktail festival and then got yes. your cupboard and you want to use them <laughs> go to our website for inspiration yes. definitely um,
1: and then moving on to Wednesday um, they've got um, a dead rabbit um, takeover at the Sun Tavern in Bethnal Green wow. so dead rabbit for those of you who don't know is another New York bar and they actually have number one spot yeah. so they just missed out on the number one spot for the two years before 2014 mm. and 15 they missed out to Artesian at London Zone but they got it last Year, so yeah. we'll see if we can get it back from yeah. them. <laughs> um, and uh, the Sun Tavern's really great, um, yeah. it's like a bar pub in um, in Bethnal Green, it's really fun, so yeah. that's going to be really great. great and they're yeah. um, also having a whiskey themed takeover from Slain Irish Whiskey, uh, because um, the, the Dead Rabbit uh, has. Irish owners, so okay. they're keeping fun. it Irish and they're having a Kayleigh band as well, which oh, will be fun. Better. I think some of the Olive team are going down, so <laughs> do say hello if you see us. <laughs> um, and then on Thursday, um, Happiness Forgets, which is another. Um, of the top 50 bars, um, yeah. and that is brilliant. That's in um, Hoxton on okay. Hoxton Square, um, and they're having a late 90s house party at the Ace Hotel. Get your choker on, <laughs> and <then> basically, you're at a desk and you're a dust out, and your choker on. So, they're literally the they're out a suite at the Ace Hotel, um, awesome. and it's a ticketed event, so you have to get tickets for that, and you can go um, onto the website, which is, bear with me. It is drinkup.london forward slash cocktail week. Cool. Um And there's loads of um, information about all of the events there. Um Brilliant. So, yeah, get some tickets and listen to some 90s music in the Ace Hotel, which is quite <laughs> random. <laughs> That's good um to And then finally, on Saturday and the whole weekend, there's going to be a tequila and Methcal festival. Brilliant. Which Very is, trendy. Yes, yeah. Mezcal, we like we like mezcal, don't we? We do. It's, it's a really smoky um tequila so it's an agave spirit mm. and um, yeah it's like it's described as tequila's smoky cousin <laughs> which is quite cliche but to be fair it does what it says on the tin yeah. um, and yeah you can go and um, also have tacos from Tempe, um which is great um <laughs> well it's a taco restaurant and they do grilled meats as well yeah they, they
0: specialize in kind of whole animal butchery they've got a very dramatic downstairs where you can see all these animals on spits and fire and you know homemade flatbreads and yeah they have a mezcal bar so they, they definitely know what they're doing and they mm-hmm. make these delicious tacos so yeah that is definitely one to try yes
1: yeah um so yeah if you want to have find any more information about the events um then i have as i said done a roundup on olivemagazine.com and there's there's so much out there so just go and have a play maybe go to the cocktail village and ask people there because yeah. all of the um all of the stands and all of the spirits um ambassadors they're all gonna have places in mind that they'll be going to yeah loads they'll back know where parties. the party is yeah it'll be really fun so i do yeah. recommend people go down so yeah
0: get prepared yes and uh, enjoy Thanks. thank you alex awesome. And here's Rhiannon on Arkashon. Okay, so hello, this is Laura here, the editor of Olive, and I am here with Rhiannon, our travel editor. Hello. Hello. And you've been travelling. <laughs> That's right. <yes. laughs> you're, you're just back from Arkashon, aren't you?
2: That's right, yes. Um, Arkashon, for people who don't know it, is... Um, well, Arkashon itself is a little town, but it's also at the very end of the Arkashon Basin, which is a big scoop-shaped... Lagoon, I suppose okay um, on the Atlantic coast of southwest France, um, and um, Arcachon itself is a kind of pretty old seaside resort with these little Victorian villas that yeah. all have very jaunty paintwork and fretwork work and, fret work and um, have names like Eloise and Christine <laughs> lovely <laughs> um, and it 's got um, i mean it 's still quite seaside you know in the summer it 's mm. quite buzzing and um, there's a lovely covered market actually fruit okay. and veg and amazing oysters oysters are the big thing I'll talk more about those later yeah. um, and some nice shishi yeah. hotels but the landscape there is really um, distinctive and really very beautiful it's got the tallest sand dune in Europe the oh. Dune du Pila next, next to it which is this, it is really just a really high bank of sand that yeah. goes on and on it's beautiful wow. um, that's just outside town and Behind that then is just and, and everywhere in that area actually, just these lovely old pine trees. Gorgeous. So it's very pretty. Yeah. What about um. the food? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, those Shishi hotels are home to some pretty decent restaurants. can imagine. Um the first one I went to was the Philippe Stark Hotel La Corniche, which definitely has the best location in town. It's right at the very end of town, nice. overlooking that Dune de du Pilar and the sea and there is actually a little beach below it that's not private, anyone can walk on okay. it. And that's the kind of secret way into the dune, which is yeah. a really nice way of going without all the crowds. Lovely. Um and I was tempted because I saw this lovely hotel and I thought, oh, that would be nice for lunch. So I went there um, to its terrace. And it was, I mean, it's got the most amazing view and that's yeah. what you pay for it. Really. Yeah. The food was okay, um, very expensive, <laughs> Yeah, um, but it was very snooty. Lots of areas <laughs> roped off. And if you so much as put a step across the rope to take a picture of the view, you'd have someone... Telling you to get back, thrown to into the sea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but um, they also have a younger sister hotel okay. just down the hill, back towards town, called the Heightser. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce <laughs> it. Um, and that has a really beautiful little patisserie inside it, which... A bit more relaxed. <laughs> very, much, very much more relaxed, a bit friendlier, um, with these gorgeous cakes and eclairs okay. and, you know, really gorgeously um, laid out. But I actually had breakfast there and okay. it was really nice. I had this uh, really perfect little brioche and a really good coffee. I was really surprised in Arcachon and, ho- and that whole area very hard to find good coffee oh, really? it's amazing for france but they seem to all have invested in kind of horrible machine oh, coffees okay. so that was a really good place if you're desperate for a good coffee <laughs> yeah. go there because they this do it old school good. really nice hot milk this hot is why we have
0: Rianne; and she finds out the places <laughs> we need to go to okay cool um, and what about the seafood
2: um yes so those oysters um It's it's really auction. The whole auction bay is really known for oysters, and they grow very well there because it has these huge tides. Okay. And I read that there are twenty six oyster farms around the bay, but I'm wondering if that's actually if there may well be more. That's I I saw so many. I'm I'm certain there are more than that. Yeah, Um, um,
0: listeners should definitely check out our Instagram and your Instagram as well, Rhiannon, because you took some gorgeous photos. It just seems so idyllic (laughs) (laughs) of all the oysters.
2: Um, And. yeah, they're they're all over the place. And um, I've also read that they produce 10,000 tonnes of them a year, which wow. sounds more like it. Apparently 60% of oysters sold in France come from that area. and But most people seem to eat them on the spot. They're not okay. necessarily well, being yeah. shipped around. Yeah,
0: and how, how better to enjoy them than I straight out straight the farm. Fantastic.
2: Um, yes, and the, so there are these little fishing villages, um, oyster fishing villages, mm-hmm that have these little sweet little shacks um, where the oyster fisher people still live and work. Mm. And a lot of them also open as t- little tasting huts and you can go and they're quite cheap. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, easily less than 10 euros for a big plate of oysters. Okay. And, and how do they serve um, them? You can, you can choose how you have them, but yeah. most of them it's just kind of straight up Make and a it. bit of lemon, yeah. Lemon, yeah. yeah. Um, and... You can have a glass of local wine very cheaply with it. And then sometimes they do, I think they serve them with little sausages at a certain time of year. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wasn't, obviously, it wasn't <laughs> sausage and oyster season when I was there. I didn't see that. Sounds um, dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, um, they have local pâté and things, so if you're not someone who likes oysters, you can kind of get that experience of sitting in this little shack looking over the water with a glass of wine. Nice. Very nice. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Uh, oh, and there's an oyster museum next door to Auchon town okay. in a place called gujan Mestras. Um, and it's all in French, but I watched a little film and I was completely fascinated. I, I didn't realize how much went into oyster. Cultivation? No, I don't Um, think
0: even people realise they're they're farmed as such. So what (laughs) Exactly.
2: How how do they make them? I had no idea. Um, So, but basically, every July. the oyster farmers submerge terracotta tiles in the water so okay. the oyster larvae latch onto them wow and then when they're big enough they're brought onto land and scraped off the tiles so they can be put into these kind of pillowcase shaped nets okay but they're then placed on the racks that you see these long rows of racks going into yeah. the um well from the sand into the water and that's t- those are to hold these nets And then they're basically left there for two years. I think they take them out of the nets and sort them into sizes and whatever, and um, any that aren't growing well, they get rid of, and then they put them in a fresh sack, uh, net, and put it back in these beds. Um, So it takes about three years. Wow, I wouldn't
0: have imagined that for such a small little thing.
2: and it's also really backbreaking work. I mean, it's really yeah. physically demanding. Even there's a bit of mechanisation, but not yeah. a whole lot really. But also, there's a real pride in that. It, they call it. They don't call it oyster farming. They call it um, oyster culturing. Oh, yep, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like that they're really looking is, after these these are. little
0: oysters. And
2: um, and I also need to look it up properly, but I'm sure the film said that. They only take on a certain number of people each year right. into the industry and they okay. have to train for three years. Wow. So <laughs> a real, it's a real labour of love. Yeah, um, that's amazing. So it was, that was really fun, interesting.
0: Okay, and so... Most importantly, perhaps, is how did they taste?
2: Well, I am the worst person to ask that (laughs) because I can't eat oysters. or Every time I've tried them, I've been violently ill. So I I was tempted. If I was ever going to try them again, it would be there. But I was also on this trip and I just didn't want to risk it. So I can't tell you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, well, imagine.
2: The other thing, a lot of these little Shack Sellers prawns so that you can have... um, You know that experience. I had some nice prawns, and, and
0: presumably they had lots of different varieties of oysters there as well, or or the seasonal oysters that come in. So if you spoke to the the person at the shack, they'd be able to tell you what whether oh. one was sweet or whether one Absolutely. was milky or those sorts of. Yes. Characteristics if you have a certain preference on the oysters.
2: Definitely. And they apparently even taste different according to where they are in the basin. In so you can work You're your way around. <laughs>
0: yes. I like that. So yeah. yeah, if you are a big oyster fan, it's definitely worth going there. And yeah, yeah, getting to know your oysters a bit better. Absolutely. Okay, and so you also said there are kind of lots of little fishing villages around.
2: Yes, and that was just lovely actually. You can just wander, I wasn't expecting them to be so beautiful yeah. but they are i mean they actually reminded me of places in the caribbean oh, these wow. little really pretty little painted all different colors little wooden shacks you didn't with, expect um, that, would you? <laughs> no um i mean i suppose that i i did actually wonder that there are so many um french there were so many french colonies in the West Indies and whether actually there's a link there somehow because they're so similar and little gingerbread carvings on them you know um, and then these little they're total warrens but tightly packed and these little sandy pathways that you stroll along them and you just get glimpses of the see through them and at every corner there's something curious to look at and you're kind of drawn into this tangle of little huts makes me um, want to be on holiday <laughs> <laughs> they're really nice my favourite one was called um, Leb, which okay. um, was slightly harder to reach than some of the others so right. it was slightly less developed okay. but there was still um, a really nice looking restaurant in the middle yeah. where it was absolutely packed I couldn't get the seat oh, there. Really? <laughs> um, but that would be my top tip really okay.
0: Um, and what was
2: Cap Foray like? I, I really liked Cap Foray Actually, um, people mistake it for Cap Forat, okay. which is the glitzer place on the Cote d'Azur. Uh, okay. So it's not that, but it, it is still. And people say, oh, it's very laid back, Cap Ferrat, it. but it's not. It's still quite. <laughs> it's still quite glam. Okay, um, nice. It's very flat, so people tend to hire a bike and pedal everywhere, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, and then they and there's a beautiful old lighthouse and people go and wander up there for views again across the basin to the, um, D'une du Pilar. And you can take little boat trips out to um there are some famous huts on stilts that were also to do with the oyster production Okay. And visit those. Um but um the big thing of course is the restaurants really. Yes. Uh waterside restaurants. Um and there's a famous place called Chez Boulon for oysters there. But I went to Chez Hortense, which is right at the end of the peninsula and It's really famous, and I'd heard so much about it that I thought, there's no way this is going to live up to the (laughs) hype. But it was amazing, it was lovely. It was really friendly and um, had lovely views, just little wooden tables. It wasn't right by the water, but you just had these views of the sea, um, looking out again to the sand dunes, and... Um, I had, they're known also for their moule fruit Lovely. And um, they were, I, I don't think I'm over egging it, so they were the best I've ever had. Wow. They were really simple, just with garlic, parsley, olive oil, and bacon. The bacon was a nice touch. Yeah. Um, And just in this huge portion that even I couldn't finish. Oh, and homemade chips to go with them. Very just simple and really lovely.
0: So good when it's done well. I went to Normandy a couple of weeks ago as well, and they are obviously famous for their cider. (laughs) Cider, and um, I had just the smallest, sweetest little mussels uh, Mm. cooked in cider and bacon, and just really beautiful and. And it had fresh apple sticks on top, like matchsticks, which were really good. Um, sorry, I'm getting hungry. That's why I'm going. But I also saw pictures of ice cream as well, didn't I?
2: That's right. Yes, yeah, so you can't go to the sea without no. ice cream. Um, and they've got this nice local brand called Au Sorbet d'Amour. Okay, um, sounds good. Which has branches all in that area um, and does some really lovely flavours like um, plum and almond and sort fruits. of fruit. Um, I was asking what were the really local flavours and one was canelé, which okay. are, was... Because it's really... I should have said that Auchon is just about half an hour's drive from Bordeaux. Okay. So obviously canelé from those little cakes from Bordeaux. Yes, yeah. um, they made an, uh, an ice cream flavor wow. from those um, and but the other one, and they also had things like um blood orange, oh, which was nice beautiful, yeah the, and, and they do seasonal ones, but the okay. one I really liked was um orange flower water oh, which it, it's one of the, it's quite perfumey yeah so you, aromatic, you yeah. might not like it, yeah. but <laughs> if you do, you really like it okay. um, and yeah, it was just delicious, and thankfully no sign of an oyster <laughs> ice cream flavour. No, I think... Uh, <laughs> that was enough. Keep them simple. <laughs> 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 All
0: right, it sounds like a, a proper foodie little breakaway, and exactly. um, if our listeners want to find out any more about it, there's going to be an Insta travel feature coming up soon, isn't there? That's
2: right. Um, that is probably We'll probably wait until next spring for that. Okay. But in the meantime, we'll put... I think probably the March issue, but in the meantime, we'll put... Um, all of this online on the website
0: brilliant so yeah you can read that at olivemagazine.com and do make sure you check out Rhiannon's Instagram and Olive Magazine's Instagram for lots of sneak peek pictures as well they are gorgeous so yes thank you very much Rhiannon (laughs) thank you for listening to today's podcast and if you like what you heard please do us a massive favour and review and rate us on iTunes it takes seconds but means that even more lovely listeners like you get to hear us happy eating until next time